0: Call to worship this morning comes from first Chronicles sixteen, eight through thirty-six. Give praise to the Lord, call on his name, make known to the nations what he has done. <clears throat> sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all the wonderful acts, Glor- give glory to his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he's pronounced. You, the servants, the descendants of Israel, the chosen one, the children of Jacob, he is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made to Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed to Jacob as a decree, To Israel, an everlasting covenant. To you, he will give the land of Canaan. As a portion, you will inherit. When they were but few, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For the sake, he rebuked the kings. Do not touch my appointed ones, do not harm my prophets. Sing to the Lord, all the earth, proclaim his salvation. Day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. For he is great, the Lord is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens, the splendor and majesty before him. Strength and joy are his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you family nations, ascribe to the Lord and his strength. Ascribe to the Lord, do his name. Bring offerings and come before him. Worship the Lord, the strength of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let them say to nations, let the Lord reign. Then the sea will renown and all that is in it, and the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees and the forests sing. Let them sing joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name. And the Lord give glory to his praise. Praise the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people of the Lord said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Thank you.
1: The Old Testament reading today is Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 14 through 22. And it's found in the Pew Bible, pages 454 to 455. The prophet Nehemiah said, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God, and its services. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love.
2: The New Testament reading is found in Hebrews 4 on one of my favorite topics, Sabbath rest. It's also in your pew Bible on page 1109. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declare an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience. God again said a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as in the passage already quoted. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains, then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joined in marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who is ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our gospel reading
3: comes from Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. I will be reading from today's New International Version. Uh, Please follow along either in your Pew Bible or your own Bibles. It's the title of the uh, chapters, Lord of the Sabbath. Chapter 12, verse one, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? he entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus.
4: Quite a progression, isn't it? Nehemiah, zealous for the Sabbath, very concerned, and rightly so. Notice the context. He's a prophet to a city that's been rebuilt. He's a prophet coming in and saying, We've had trouble in the past when we have left the ways God has prescribed for us. He's taken on an almost Elijah-type task of reform. People are doing their own business and own pleasure, as we heard. The Sabbath has lost its sacredness for, for Judah, for Jerusalem, Nehemiah is asking God to remember him with favor because he is so zealous for guarding the Sabbath. I am uh, almost tempted to chuckle as I read because Nehemiah does things in the process of protecting the Sabbath that would seem uh, over the top to us today. Did you hear them? First, he's he's warning the people, but he goes way beyond that, doesn't he? He does what so many of us wanna do. He takes the law and he starts to build laws and precepts around the law to guard it. Seems like a necessary thing in this case. But he speaks first and when he is not listened to, he seals up the doors for 24 hours and locks people in. I've ordered the deacons to do the same today. (laughs) You will be here for the duration. We will let you over to eat something, provided that it hasn't been harvested, cooked, or brought in today. Um, I'm just playing with you. You see what he's done for zeal for the Sabbath day. It's that important. It's that defining. Nehemiah then goes on to note that Those who are bringing their goods, not just pressing the wine presses and harvesting the grain, but uh, those who are responsible for trade or hauling all of that stuff to the city on Sabbath and selling it. And when he's closed the doors and made it clear that this isn't what he wants to see happening in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, they camp outside the door ready for business first thing when the gates open. And Nehemiah goes to them and says, what do you think you're doing? I tell you what, if I catch you here tomorrow, I am going to lay hands on you. Let's translate that. That was not an act of blessing. That was not an anointing. That was not a religious service or ceremony. He was going to put them to the sword. That's what that means. He was going to rid Israel of this plague, this virus that was spreading. And he asked the Lord as he's made these threats and sealed off the city and done these things curtailing people's choice and freedom to remember him. He's done a good thing. And I think to our eyes, looking back, it must look a little bit harsh or arbitrary. But I want to share with you something that I love about what Nehemiah has done. A, he has remembered. And isn't that the essence of the command? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days you do your work, but the seventh is set apart. Isn't that the essence of the command? I'm, I'm waiting. Oh, shoo, I thought you were asleep. It is the essence of the command, it's to remember, it's commemorative, it remembers God's creative act in Exodus 20, and God's redemptive act in Deuteronomy 5. Same commandment, but it doesn't end the same, does it? Exodus 20, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas, and all that in them is. But on the seventh day, he rested. And then when you get to Deuteronomy 5, it's because the Lord delivered Israel from Egypt and slavery. Creation, redemption, remember. It's commemorative. I love Nehemiah's zeal. I wish we could recapture it. I know that my own childhood, and my father and mother are here, so I do not want to in any way shame or embarrass them, but my own childhood was characterized by an Adventism that had many more boundaries wrapped around it. The community as a whole was much more concerned with sealing off the doors and shutting you know, the gates and uh, making sure that we were in line. I've watched, of course, my family mellow over the years, but the standards that were applied were pretty strict, at least in my view as a child. And yet, my sermon title is about freedom. It's about standards I wish somehow we could hold on to just a bit as a congregation, as a people. And I don't know how, well I'm going to do my best with God's help, but I don't know how to articulate both. I don't know how to articulate to you how I wish so much we had Nehemiah's zeal. I wish so much we had a sense of just how important and sacred and defining this day is. I wish so much that we could do everything we possibly could to adapt our individual lives and cultures back to a time when we looked forward to the Sabbath day even to even prepped for it and observed it in worship and in relationship and in numerous other ways. And as much as I want that zeal and all of those pieces, I don't want the trappings of legalism back on it. I don't want to have to seal the, the, the city up. What I think God asks and what he promises to do a New Covenant, Jeremiah, what he says is, I'm going to write my laws, my statutes, and my precepts on your hearts. I'm going to internalize it. Religion is going to become something for you, a relationship. It's going to be internal to you, not external. And so I wish for the sake of freedom, because God has called you to be free, and youth, I'm speaking to you, I want you to be maximally free. You will not be maximally free if you fail to take Sabbath seriously, as a youth or as an adult. Academically, it is your day to write your pastor and say, I will not be taking the ACT on Saturday, I'm going to be requesting an alternate test date. And I will write you the letter and our government, thank goodness, gives you religious liberty and freedom and the organization that gives you the ACT or the SAT will have to give you a Sunday or a Tuesday or whatever it is test date. Young people, I wish you would take that seriously. I wish in school you would go to the teacher or to the principal and say, I have these convictions, I'm going to need an alternative date for XYZ that's going on. I wish you would practice now freeing yourself from academics and from the work that you do. And don't think our kids don't work hard. I remember moving Brennan out of public school in fourth grade in part because it was getting to be three hours of homework a night in third grade. And I felt that my child deserved a childhood. I felt that being in in the bus at 6.30 in the morning, home at 5 at night and three hours of homework was tantamount to slave labor, child labor that he wasn't receiving a childhood and the benefit of the freedoms and blessings of being a kid, he was just forced to work and work and work. And Sabbath is is part of the culture of taking time away and resting, of disengaging from that work that our kids do, that we do. So youth... It's a wonderful freedom to be able to say, oh no, I won't be studying, it's Friday night, it's Sabbath. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to be free. God gave it to me to be free. It doesn't have to be about whether you ride a skateboard or not, or a bike or not, or swim or not, or some of the other things that it was about in the 70s maybe. It can be about Engagement. Can be about the blessings that you pursue, the freedoms that you have in community and worship. So, when I come to the story of Nehemiah, I see his passion, his zeal for God, for observing God's commands as he understood them, for wanting to impose that on a population that didn't seem to be listening, I understand the way he got his message through, and the way he wanted to be remembered to, go- to God for doing those things. I understand all of those things, but I don't want to do that as a people. I want to trust that God in his new covenant has taken creation and redemption seriously and is going to imprint that on your heart in such a way that the Sabbath comes to you as a joy and as a freedom, as a grace, as a privilege, that you won't eschew it, young people with academics and older of you with workplace, that you'll seek to be truly free in this way. When we get to the Hebrews text, some powerful things are happening. A lot of powerful things are happening. It's almost overwhelming. In fact, the f- end of three in the first part of four could easily be its own short sermon series, and then the end of four could be another sermon or two. That takes us to about four o'clock. I have the energy. Are you up? So let's not go to four, but let's take a minute and look at Hebrews chapter four and try to break out just a little bit of what's being said there that might translate into helping us have a greater sense of appreciation and freedom about our Sabbath. Give me a moment to get there. I wanna thank our readers. They all did a great job today. Very, very powerful reads. In chapter three, the heading says, Jesus is greater than Moses. So the author of Hebrews is making this case building up. And to the Jews, who was greater than Moses? Nobody. Who was on a par with Moses? Abraham was the forefather, but as a prophet, who was on a par with Moses? Elijah. Elijah Elijah was on a par. So the author of Hebrews is making this case that Jesus even supersedes Moses. And he warns them against unbelief, which is where the beginning of four and the Sabbath rest argument sort of spins. Let's start with verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, capital, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during your time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That was why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are going astray, always, and they have not known my ways, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. You hear what's going on here? God is present. He's in the pillar of fire. He's in the pillar of the cloud of, uh, by, by day, the fire by night. He rests in his holy Shekinah glory over the temple, in the most holy of holy places, over the altar there, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. His presence is there, the Shekinah glory. Moses has spoken to him many times. He's led, he's guided, he's delivered, he's provided manna, he's provided quail, he's provided water, he's provided for their needs for 40 years of wandering in a desert and they aren't listening and they aren't paying attention. They're testing him, they're not believing, they're disobeying. And he says, that's why I was angry. Their hearts were always going astray. So I said, they'll never enter my rest. Now this rest that's being referred to gets taken on as a Sabbath rest in chapter 4. But the rest literally referred to here is entering the promised land, right? Because the generation that left Egypt never did see the promised land except for two, Caleb and Joshua, right? (coughs) See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a (coughs) sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called Today, capital T, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share Christ, if indeed we hold firmly till the end our original conviction, as just has been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it that? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. There's a wonderful shift that that is made in this passage. I don't know if you've caught it. It just hit me pretty recently. So let's see if we can share this together. It shifts from obeyed to what? There's a shift of language from obedience to belief. Did you miss it? Verse 18, and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their disobedience? Unbelief. That's a subtle shift, isn't it? Are they functionally terribly different? Not really. If you were listening to the preaching of Moses and you believed that a flood was coming but failed to enter the ark, uh, what kind of belief is that? Yeah, I believe I'm going to be destroyed. No, I'm not entering the ark. Seems a bit silly, doesn't it? Our action comes out of our faith. It's dynamic, it's living, it's real. That's not to say that our faith is tantamount to obedience and our obedience saves us, no. But you have to enter the ark. Do you not? If you're going to miss the flood, you've got to be on the boat. Right? Right? So when we talk about missing the Sabbath rest in this, getting to the promised land, are we not looking forward and anticipating another promised land, another Sabbath rest that's being spoken of here? And the shift takes place from obedience to belief because that is the language that the New Testament takes on, isn't it? There's a shift in our thinking. It's no longer about, I've got to obey the the commands. I've got to do things a certain way. I've got to build the boundaries. I've got to follow every detail of this. No, it's in your hearts, right? And because it's in your heart, you're going to follow that. You're going to do that because you're led naturally, instinctively, decisively to that. You know where you need to be. You're listening. You're obeying. The obedience comes naturally. John three sixteen so familiar to all of you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what? Obeves. Obeys in him, no, believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And yet, that belief is not just like the millions of people in this country who say, oh yeah, I believe in God and have no connection to him. None whatsoever. A saving belief in Jesus Christ is a relational belief in which we enter a covenant that resembles now, not the Old Testament covenants, but resembles entry into family. We've been grafted into the tree, Romans tells us. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We're heirs with Christ, right? We're no longer servants, but friends. Does this language sound familiar? So there's a shift that takes place. I don't want a Nehemiah Adventism of Sabbath-keeping. It's biblical, it's there, but I don't want a Nehemiah Adventism. I want Jeremiah's covenant written on my heart, and I want an Adventism that remembers the Sabbath day in a commemorative way between creation and redemption and fulfills this in light of today. What will your choice be today? It'll be for freedom. It'll be for Christ. For in Christ I am truly free. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have been found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who who obeyed. Now we who have entered that rest just as I don't think I read that quite right. Verse 2. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we also who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, the author of Hebrews enters this elaborate this elaborate kind of argument, and frankly, it's not that important to us. I get lost in this verbiage I can only imagine. I'm guessing some of you do too. Anybody lost? as you read through this just a little bit? You're kind of go. what's he talking about? Anybody? Do you sleep? Okay, thank you. So some of you are like me. It's just a little bit confusing the way he goes about this argument, and that's fine. You can study through it. You can comprehend it. You can do it. I know you can. But author of Hebrews is making this incredible point even though God swore on his oath and his anger that they would never enter his rest today is another day and today you are called in faith to enter that rest for the word of God is alive and active verse 12 chapter 4 verse 12 we were studying that in our bible class this morning it is alive it is active Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It stands as a clear indicator, as a judge, as a a marker. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eye of him to whom we must give account. In other words, this double-edged sword that divides joint and bone and marrow and soul and, well, spirit and, what does it say there, spirit and, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is another way of saying it opens us up, it flays us, it opens us up completely. Nothing is hidden. Everything is revealed through the word. It's all laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So even in belief, even in today, the new invitation, there's accountability. But then it says, since we have such a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted as we are. And yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, even though we've sinned so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's not directly connected, but I would suggest to you that entering the Sabbath rest does refer to something eschatological, but it also refers to something temporal, something here and now, something symbolic of entering His grace and forgiveness, His advocacy, something symbolic and worthy Let's enter that now," he says. "For since we have such a great high priest, what are those last words? Let us approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace, ah, to help us in our time of need. The Sabbath is a help to you in time of need. It's a space and a time meant for your freedom and your healing and your grace and your receiving. Jesus reframes the whole question interestingly in Matthew, doesn't he? The Pharisees, good students of the law, knew Nehemiah backward and forward. They remembered his zeal and they certainly wanted to imitate that. I don't have any uh, clear authority on this, but I understand some 613 laws were built around the Ten Commandments, particularly the Sabbath, to keep it free of any possibility of being broken and in turn enslaving a people to an idea from which they could never break. You see, the law, as Paul argues, Ultimately, simply convicts us of wrongdoing. It doesn't save us. It doesn't free us. It points to our enslavement, even though the law is good. Christ is the one who frees us. Are we clear on that? Yes. So, when Jesus in Matthew <laughs> is confronted with this challenge, See, they're hungry, they're harvesting grain. He answers it in a couple of ways. First, historically. He does what a rabbi does. He engages them in debate using their own scriptures, what they have in common. Well, surely you've read where David and his men, when they were hungry, went and ate the showbread. That was consecrated bread. That was in the the holy place. So it's not for military men to march in and eat like lunch. That's what they did. This was sacred on the altar bread. Jesus says, haven't you read where they did that? But then it goes beyond that. Turn to Matthew 12. goes to a second argument. Remember the liturgical priests? They worked on the Sabbath. They served the temple. And are they not declared innocent? Yeah, and in case you weren't wondering, yes, the Sabbath is a work day for me. Really. And it's wonderful and I cherish my Sabbath, and I love the service I'm able to give. And the great news is, God doesn't hold it against me. Amen. He doesn't hold it against me. He asks me to do this, and I love it. But I too need Sabbath rest. He says, haven't you read that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, and yet they're innocent? One greater than the temple is here. If you'd understood I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, you just spoke about two blasphemies right there. Greater than the temple. And he said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. But this is key to your freedom, and it's key to a New Testament, new understanding of Sabbath rest and what it means and what God is calling us to as a people. See, I'm concerned that we have engaged Sabbath in an optional kind of way that enslaves us. I'm afraid that we, on the one hand, in one point in our history, were so concerned with the Nehemiah-type approach that we were legalistic about it, and we weren't able to enter it as a time of joy. And most of us, if we were at all working during the week and tired, tried to sleep the day away, in fact, that's where that wonderful lay activities pun came in. Back when this church was built, for those of you who don't know, that desk back there where the greeters uh, gather in their different information pieces was called a lay activities desk. And it was a mission desk because lay activities meant that the lay people would engage in evangelism, handing out tracts, doing Bible studies, doing community surveys, and the materials for all of that sort of work that you would engage on a Sabbath afternoon was there. Anybody remember those good old days? Wow, you're old. Me too. And, and you're wise too. We'll give you credit on both. So no, it, there was a time when we did that and this church was, that was the lay activities. Test and the pun was, people would, I'm going to engage in lay activities, they would say, and that meant nap the Sabbath day away, basically. And so for those of you not familiar with our, uh, our lingo and subculture, that's kind of the joke there. Now you've got it, and you can laugh with the rest of us when I say I'm going to engage lay activities. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Boy, you're a good audience. I really appreciate that. So, um, Jesus takes this passage, and he says, if you understood the right order of things... The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I've given it to you as a gift. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. If you'd understood what it meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would know that what I really want is for people to thrive and be free. Not constantly concerned that they've stepped on my toes. And offended the living God. And so he proceeds to say these, what the Pharisees would have heard as blasphemies. And going from that place, he went into their synagogue, and there was a man with a shriveled hand. They were looking for a reason to get rid of Jesus, and they said, is it lawful to heal? And you remember his logic, if a sheep falls into the pit. Elsewhere, I think it says, if your ox falls into the ditch, so forth and so on. Would you not help it or lift it out? So how much more valuable is a human being? And that phrase, (laughs) it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day is not a day of disengagement. It's not a day of doing nothing. It's not a day for boredom. It's not a day for fear. And it's not a day for wasting either. It's a gift meant to keep you free. Free from the constant grind of the world. Free from the constant challenge of earning a living or getting through school. Free from the mind-numbing routines that we constantly engage. Free from the temptation to be addicted to our communications and our entertainments. It's a day to be free. And it's lawful to do good on this day. Jesus said, love God supremely and your neighbor as yourself. And when we engage service and do good on the Sabbath day and love our neighbor as ourself, we're demonstrating something incredible and powerful. We're demonstrating how great our God is and how supreme our love for him is. Well, I've talked enough. I want so much to be free in every aspect of my life. I want it for you. I want it for our youth. And I want to tell you that one of the great gifts Seventh-day Adventism still has to offer this world is a perspective on Sabbath. Sabbath practice surrounding Sabbath rest and engagement. We still have this thing to offer the world. And there's freedom for you you've forgotten about if you'll engage it. On the one hand preserving, protecting, remembering and on the other hand engaging. Calling it a delight. Living out God's greater purpose of faith and hope in each of us as we rest and remember in this day. Anticlimactic as it seems.
3: Okay, maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> One step forward.
4: Is it, is it the microphone? I'm not touching anything. Um, we sang tread softly. A couple of other Adventist standards that I think would be Interesting to revisit and think about keeping in some way. That is, what, it, what would it mean, not that we have to be quietistic in worship, because quiet isn't always reverence. Sometimes we hear in heaven this great roar of hallelujahs and holy, holy, holies and song. But what would it mean if, in addition to Sabbath space that we kept sacred and holy, we kept physical space, is sacred and holy. We remembered that what we bring into this place matters and what we take out of it matters. We treated it like it was a place of sacred happenings. What would happen if we took time, not just Sabbath time and church space, but we took holy time to remember a living God who advocates for us who calls us to be free, who asks for our faith and writes everything internally in this, what would happen if out of that we engaged holy space and time on a personal level, day to day? I won't ask you how many of you are old enough to remember the word morning watch or reading a daily devotional during that time, or having family worship in the evening. Those are practices that are largely foreign to me. My own spirituality has never thrived at 5 a.m. So the morning watch piece is something that I reserve for later times. But prayer and engagement with the Word are part of my life. I hope they're part of yours. It's just a moment in time of sacred time, sacred space, that allows God more room to work and to live and to do his peace in me. These are three old-time (coughs) Adventist standards that I wish maybe we would give some more thought to. Not bringing back the old way, but reviving in a dynamic, (coughs) living, kind of vital community way that says this day is sacred time. This place is sacred space. And in my walk with God, I'm going to enter Sabbath rest not just weekly, but I'm going to enter his rest daily. And one day soon, I'll be with him in his presence, having entered his Sabbath rest eternally for all time. Indeed, Lord, we would enter your Sabbath rest. Now and in the future, we would enter your blessing forevermore. Free us, for we have been made free in Christ indeed, in Jesus' name.